welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. In today's episode, I interview Terry Hansen Mead. Terry is a angel investor, startup advisor, podcaster, YouTube channel star, and author of Piloting Your Life. She has spent over 20 years working with biotech, med device, diagnostics, and digital health companies. Terry is an active angel investor and invests in startups with products or services that expand women's power and influence. Hell yeah, Terry. Another fun fact about Terry is that she is actually commercially licensed helicopter pilot and flies for fun around San Francisco Bay Area. This hobby of hers has influenced the title of her book, Piloting Your Life. This award-winning book emboldens women over the age of 40 to take control and be the pilots of their own lives. Ladies, it is no longer a midlife crisis. It is a midlife opportunity. Hey, Terry, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, it is a hot July day and we are both in tank tops. I know our listeners can't see us right now, but we are totally casual for this interview, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's. I'm glad I didn't have to shower for this because, no. uh, yeah, that maybe Thursday for you know another day this week. I mean, this is working from home, isn't it? Yep, working from home. Yeah, this is my corporate life: a backwards baseball cap and a tank top. <laughs> like what my corporate it. life looks like now. <laughs> and uh, where are you located? I'm based in Redwood City, California, Redwood. and so today it's actually not as hot as it has been. Uh, it's a little overcast today, but I'm I'm right in the middle of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Nice, where the action is happening. Do you yep. actually speaking real quick? Like, do you think that COVID has been slowing down the action in Silicon Valley and that people are leaving it, or you don't see that at all? You know, I'm seeing all of the chatter on social media. You know, all sorts of chatter on Twitter about the mass exodus and the diving, uh, real estate market, et cetera. But I don't know if that's up in San Francisco more than it is down here in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. I have not witnessed it. I, you know, the people that I know that are in my circles aren't going anywhere. So, um, I don't know. The traffic is picked up. I was just talking about that with some friends and it's slightly annoying because it was nice when it was, you know, nice and quiet (laughs) for people who had to go out. So I, I don't know. We've seen this a couple of times where it's like, okay, we're all leaving. It's too expensive. You know, we can do this from anywhere. But really, there are some things that when we're able to get out and about that really are so easy in the Silicon Valley that mm-hmm. it's really hard to re- re- recreate elsewhere and then recreate at a distance. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool. Well, keep me posted on that because uh, in Texas, we are actually seeing a huge influx of people leaving New York City and LA and San Francisco to come to Texas, but I don't I don't know if it's actually enough to make a big dent in the in the Silicon Valley, you know? 
Well, I think, you know, prices go down. What we have going for us, and I mean, I do know people who complain about the cost of living, but, you know, we're 20 minutes from Half Moon Bay and the beach. We're an hour and 10 minutes from, you know, the wine country. We're less than two hours from Monterey and Big Sur. We're three and a half hours from Tahoe. We are two hours from Yosemite. We have so much around us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in the in the flats of Redwood City and I can walk downtown. But where I went hiking today is, you know, a 10 minute drive up the hill and I've got a llama loop where I park in front of a friend's house. It's a three mile loop with like 19 flights of stairs elevation and there are llamas and goats and horses and beautiful views, bunny rabbits. Um, And so I get to feel like I'm in a completely different place. And Mm. so even though, you know, people complain about, about the cost of living and everything else, but we have so much here. Our weather is really great. Mm-hmm. Granted, I am a, a, a San Francisco Bay Area native, so I'm a little biased, <laughs> but it's, I think you'd be hard pressed to go elsewhere. Our houses are smaller, our properties mm-hmm. are smaller. We have challenges, but I mean, you'd be hard pressed to go elsewhere mm-hmm. and have all of this, plus the Silicon Valley energy, the, you know, universities, et cetera. But once again, I'm totally biased because I was born in San Francisco. Well, actually that leads me into our first question, which is your background. So have you always been in Silicon Valley? Have you ventured out and uh, what have you worked on in your career and what are you working on now? Oh, that's such a huge question. I know, so I was, born in- <laughs> no, I was like... <laughs> But I think I think some of the things I'll hit the high point. So I was born in San Francisco, moved to the East Bay, and grew up in the East Bay. And I got my undergrad and my master's degree at Cal State East Bay back when it was Cal State Hayward. So I lack university pedigree, which is important for a little later in the story. And then after I finished my MBA, which was in New Venture Small Business Management, my husband and I wanted to move to San Francisco. So we um, found a place, we both got jobs. He went to work for Oracle. I went to work for uh, NorCal Waste Systems and fell into doing system implementations, which is what started my, you know, 20 year career doing what kind of the consulting that I do now that funds all of my other activities, Mm -hmm. including my, my angel investing and startup advising. So we lived in San Francisco uh, and we were up there for, I don't know, six years, seven years. And then after our son was born, we put our house on the market on 9-11 and then took it promptly off the wow. market. Yeah. And then um, about nine months later, we moved down the peninsula to Redwood City just um, just to get out of the city So because we knew we wanted to have another kid and um, we just wanted to be not in San Francisco mm-hmm. raising kids. So we, we ended up accidentally landing in Redwood City, which is a perfect place where people don't know because it is 30 minutes essentially from San Francisco. It's 30 minutes from San Jose. It's right across the bridge from East Bay where there's some other stuff. And then, you know, it's 20, 25 minutes over to the coast. So it's really very centrally located. I fell into doing IT systems work for uh, a biotech company, and it turned out to be a really serendipitous kind of accidental fall into it because between compliance work, technology work, and my experience with um, businesses, it was like this natural fit. And so for the last 20 years, I've been doing um, IT system implementation selections, project management, computer validation within, which is FDA related stuff. I do Sarbanes-Oxley, GDPR, and then a couple years ago, branched out into expert witness work for failed system implementations. 
really about- quickly, let me just ask you, <laughs> when you say IT, I think about two things. I think about coders, like people who code stuff. And I think about people who come fix my computer, like my old CTO. And whenever I couldn't figure something out, I'd ask him to fix it. So like when you say you did IT, which, and maybe I'm, I don't even have your- Neither of those. Neither. Actually, okay. Yeah. Tell <laughs> So um, just think of it in terms of anytime there's a system to help run the business, mm-hmm. I can help, uh, you know, I'd like to leverage technology to optimize business performance. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a financial system, manufacturing, distribution, in uh, life sciences, we have complaint handling, quality, clinical trial management, regulatory information management, mm-hmm. in finance, whether it's timesheets, payroll, HR systems, um lab systems, equipment maintenance, calibration. So anything to really run the business and then also help get drugs to market. Because I fell into life sciences 20 years ago, worked for two different biotech companies, got laid off twice in three years and said, I'm out of here. So I've been consulting for the last, consulting successfully for the last 15. About five years ago, I got frustrated by the lack of appreciation for technology within life sciences. Hmm. So, um, because of FDA regulations and European regulations and other regulatory body regulations, it's there's a lot of control, there are a lot of processes in place and it makes it harder to um, really leverage the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, as such, there it, there's also kind of a, a lack of appreciation from a lot of scientists, clinical people around, uh, around technology and seeing it as something that really could get you to market faster or really increase profitability or really optimize business performance. And I got very frustrated by that. And so five years ago, I was looking into something else and I got into angel investing. And so I've been angel investing for just about five years now, uh, fell into it with Sandhill Angels and did uh, worked with them for two years, learned about investing, um, built up my portfolio, and then uh, about three years ago, I guess, went out on my own. So I've been investing on my own and doing a lot to build up the women's founder, women's investor ecosystem to try to get more money into the hands of people who can make what 50% of the population needs to have in the world. Yes clean. Yes. That's what I'm about too. (laughs) I love it. And just real quick, uh, kind of definition for any listeners who don't know, an angel is someone who has enough money in their personal account that they can, you know, diversify their investments and not only do the stock market, but they can put money into a company on their own. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you listen to the episode with Faz Bashi, mm-hmm. you, you talked with him a little bit about that, the difference between venture, which is other people's money, and angel, which is we write, uh, we write our own checks and we yep. have control over our own checkbooks. So we get to decide what we want to invest in and mm-hmm. what we want to support and see in the world. Have you invested in some femtech companies? Specifically femtech. Um, I'm looking over here at my list. No. Um, and that what's really awful about that is about three, three and a half years ago, I specifically started looking at femtech mm. and maybe it was, maybe it was four years ago, really started looking at femtech. Um, Foz also mentioned what was coming out of the Nordics in terms of uh, technology and digital health. 
was really interested in it when I went to Slush in Helsinki for the first time and was really amazed by what was happening um, in the digital health space, health tech space in the Nordics. So I'm going to echo what, what Foz said about that because I agree there's a lot of great stuff coming out of there. Um, so I, I've been looking at femtech for a long time and I have not found, I almost invested in one and then they there was kind of a snafu and I didn't get to invest in it. Um, I was looking at the fertility market early on and then it got really hot and crazy. Mm -hmm. And I like to look at things that other people aren't looking at. Yeah. So fertility got really hot and even uh, midlife menopause type stuff is super hot right now. Mm -hmm. And I tend to, you know, I tend to be interested in something early on. And then when there tends to be a lot of activity and busyness and it's like, okay, there's enough attention here. I can move on to yeah. the next thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for what my next thing is going to be, but my investment thesis has changed just a little bit because it was digital health focused on women's health and children's health. Mm. And I've invested in a couple of pedia tech companies, but um, now it's really startups with products and services that expand the power and influence of women. Ooh. So it can be humor, it can be tech, it can be health, it can be related to children because anything that we can do to um, provide additional bandwidth, free women up to be productive in the world, to really chase their dreams and really build stuff, I think um, we will be in a better place as a society and individually. And I'm not going to take credit for this whole thesis because um, Melinda Gates, I think, announced hers about a year ago that this was hers. I thought it was so brilliant and it was the perfect umbrella for what I wanted to see happen in the world. So yes. I've adopted the same thesis, but with a much smaller checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most people would say smaller checkbook, right? But um, I love that idea. The first time I heard about that was from Amina from Tokyo. And, you know, she explained it to me. And then I've, been, I've heard it several times over where it's like, how can we have technology that is empowering women to nourish their careers and nourish their kids at the same time, right? Um, but I do think that there's a there's a gray area and a tricky, tricky line of assuming women's roles in the world and then having technology that furthers them maintaining that role. So what I mean is like, if there's an app that helps women wash dishes, that's not real, right? But like, you know, and if you're, and if you say it's femtech cause you're relieving her of the dishes, she can work more. And it's like, but you're assuming that only women do dishes, you know? So I feel like there's, I love it. And I also am like, oh, there's like so quick to fall into the not good. Well, it's, you know, that's an interesting thing. So uh, I guess femtech originally, femtech now is so broad, mm. but I still think it's very health centered. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Health, whether it's uh, drugs, diagnostics, um, uh, medical devices, care, mental health, behavioral health, um, self care, you know tampons, mm -hmm. um, uh, sexual health and wellness. I mean, mm -hmm. femtech is now huge. It's not just technology. It's really women's health in, in general, which That's is, right. I think, a huge, huge opportunity, which I talked about on my podcast last year for an entire season, because I want to see more um, men investors see the blue ocean opportunity in women's health, because we know that there aren't, en there aren't enough research and development dollars going into it, yes. but there's a huge demand. And yes. if we can dazzle them with the dollars, then we can have the products that we women need in, in the world. That's right. 
So, but you know, it wouldn't even occur. So in my expanding the power, um, and influence of women, I, I saw something today about the future. The future isn't necessarily female. It's non-binary. So Ooh. I kind of reject Ooh, some of these. Ooh, I, I like that. So if we kind of look at, you know, what does that look like and how does gender fit into it and how do the stereotypes fit into it and the various different roles, it's like, you know, it's all going to kind of be wrapped up in there and let's not make assumptions about things. The society has a lot to catch up on in order to, to get there, mm-hmm. but the Gen Z kids are not accepting the way things are. Yeah. So we're going to be moving in that direction and not just on the coasts. Mm-hmm. So, um, so expanding the power and influence of women, I'm going to stay in, you know, the women category, but I've got my Gen Z 15 year old really pushing me on this whole gender thing. But Mm -hmm. until we have dealt with, um, you know, getting, you know, you know, the numbers, 92% of the VC, the venture capitalists are men. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones who are deciding what ends up getting funded and in the world. Mm -hmm. And if they generally can't empathize with what 50% of the population needs, then how, how do we get them to do the funding? Which is why I've been so interested in creating more women investors who can easily empathize with the problem right. and see that there's an opportunity right. for solution. So there's, but with the, the power and, impl- so that's one of the examples of how ex- we need to kind of expand the power and influence of women to be able to influence what happens in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, the dishwashing thing. Yeah, I don't even wash dishes here. So, you know, <laughs> doing, doing that, that role. It's such a bad example because we have like dishwashers now, but yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> but, but I think it's but I think it's a good example because why would we want to, to simply make life easier for women in a way where really what we need to do is take a step back and look at structurally how is our society defined, how are the roles defined, mm-hmm. and. If we're simply, if women are still responsible for grocery shopping or, or care, oh my yes. gosh, you know, care for children and care for, for um, aging loved ones, then that is that much time that is being consumed that they are not able to focus on building, creating, building wealth um, yes. and safety, um, building products that, you know, really could be fabulous in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, really being involved with government to really yes. influence policy yes. involved in universities on tenure tracks to, um, you know, publish papers and be able to then really, uh, define what gets taught yep. within universities yep. on the medical research level. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on and on in terms of we need to make it so that women have more time and ability to focus on those things so that we can improve not only women's lives, but society. Because Melinda Gates in her book, um, was it the, shoot, now I can't remember the name, the Lift book, whatever the- um, Lift off, Lift. Or uh, whatever Lift book it is. In in that book, she, ta- she talks specifically example after example about how societies, when you, when you raise women, you raise societies. Yes, the moment of Lift moment of lift yep. yeah so in thank you <laughs> thank, thank you, you iphone thank you technology <laughs> there it is <laughs> like in the in the moment of lift she's got story after story about these communities in africa where when you raise the women the societies are lifted and i see that as something that we can emulate in in the united states mm-hmm. 
Well, well I, and, and world over. Yeah, the entire galaxy, essentially. Um, so this, I have a question I'm going to throw at you, not on our <laughs> on our list, but you know, working from home, I've heard all of these arguments around why it's empowering to women, but then I've heard in all these arguments why it's disempowering to moms, right? And so, do you have any experience around that, or like any data or anything? <laughs> So I think COVID is going to set women back decades. Um, And what, and I'll come back around to your question. And more recently, I've been looking at how teen pregnancy is going to set women back even further. I hadn't even thought about it until my friend, Christy, who was in Nicaragua, brought it up. And then a gal I played tennis with on Sunday also brought it up. And I was like, Ooh, I haven't, I haven't thought about how with both parents out of the house, or if it's a single parent and they're out of the house and they have high schoolers at home who are not being supervised, you're having an increase in, um, in teen pregnancies. And we know who that's going to impact because not all families, communities, et cetera, either believe in abortion or have access to abortion. And so then these girls are going to end up being stuck and education is not going to be a priority. Careers aren't going to be a priority Mm. and they're going to end up being stuck. And so we're like perpetuating this. And so that I think is a huge problem in terms of working from home. Yeah. We see over and over and I see it within the people that I know I've you know, everything that I've been reading and even my own personal experience, there is, even though my kids are 15 and 19, there's still some heavy lifting that's happening in supporting them mentally, um, you know, to make sure they're in a good, they have good mental health because it's tough on them too. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, my 19 year old is, you know, got sent, we picked him up on March 14th from college in San Diego. And he's like, I don't want to be home. Yeah. He's like, home. I just got free. <laughs> I, I just, just left. Got free. And, yeah. so, and so it's his impact on him. And then my 15 year old who was really just on rails and doing really, really mm-hmm. well. And then, and he was out of the, you know, my 19 year old's out of the house. And now my 15 year old was like, wait, you're not supposed to be here anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. and then I realized that I'm an over-functioner. I was listening to Brene Brown and apparently I'm an over-functioner. <laughs> and as an over-functioner, under stress, I tend to try to take control and do, 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 do in order to try not to feel my feelings. Oh, girl. And I started a the- podcast. I started a podcast <laughs> during the quarantine. I know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, it's absolutely control. So every night for probably the first 75 days, I made dinner. Now, my husband stayed home with the kids for 12 years. I've worked, I've been the you know primary breadwinner and have worked. And that meant, and I was cooking gourmet meals every night. And that was like two, two and a half, three hours yeah, every night. Wow. That was something that then made it so I was not focusing on you know, my consulting work, my expert witness work. I wasn't yeah. working on you know my next book. I wasn't working on um, my investing or my startup adv- advocacy work. And I know that it was a choice to do that, but I took on an activity that was not previously mine in our house. Mm-hmm. Since um, my us for 69 days, she left and we've kind of reshuffled things around. So I'm not cooking. I love to cook, but I, I'm not cooking because then that gives me additional time. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing over and over women who are having to make choices between with, with kids at home. And right now I don't think it's safe for kids to go back to school. Um, 
with with the kids at home, the women are taking the majority of in the in the heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. They're taking the majority of the kid work. They're taking the majority of the household work, and there there's still the expectation that they continue to perform at the same mm-hmm. level for their jobs. Mm-hmm. And over and over, I'm seeing I had to make a choice, and I'm at a breaking point, and I'm leaving my job. Yeah, yeah. Why I said we're going to be set back decades because. This is when, when women take a gap, it makes it harder for them to get, I mean, they just, we, the ladders just don't, aren't available. Mm -mm. So from a financial perspective, from a career opportunity perspective, from a management perspective, we are just going to have significant lost opportunities for a lot of these women. And the ripple effect is going to be huge because then these women are not in management positions, executive positions. Um, to be able to be role models, to be able to hire, to be able to influence the cultures, even right now mm-hmm. with supposed changing in cultures, which we'll see how things things play out. The the ripple effect is going to be huge um, with COVID with women, and oh. it's it's not good. It's not good in Mm-mm. my opinion. Mm-mm. No, no. Oof! I totally threw that at you, <laughs> but I'm glad we chatted about it because I knew you'd have an opinion. Let's jump. Well, I, and yeah, because I talk about it a lot. I launched a YouTube channel at the beginning of the year, and um, this is one of the things that I've been talking about. You know, in between having my son in conversation, my 19 year old in conversations about college and COVID and safety and um, uh, tobacco withdrawals and smoking pots and, you know, yes. all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, why do you have a YouTube channel? What What is this all about? I heard you are an author of a pretty awesome book. Thank so you. let's talk about that part of your life. So, um, well, I'll start with the, the YouTube channel and then I'll go back to the book. Um, I did a podcast called Piloting Your Life for two and a half years, had 117 episodes. The The fall season what do I do with the fall? The fall season was a deeper dive into topics I either covered in my book, Piloting Your Life, or I missed completely in mm. the book. The previous season was all about women's health. And I started my podcast because when I got into angel investing, I got sick and tired of it being the white bro show. I did mm-hmm. not see myself and any of the investors. I did not, or in the conversations. And I thought if I, as a privileged, you know, cishet white woman, can't, you know, educated, can't see myself. There have got to be other people who don't. And so the first year of the podcast, which completely missed its mark, but was still a great learning experience and a Mm -hmm. lot of fun, was all about interviewing people who um, really were the pilots in their own lives, despite the color of their skin or their Mm -hmm. education or lack thereof, or where they were raised or what knocks they had taken in life. And so after the first year, I was in um, I was in Europe and I was speaking at um, Silicon Alley in Berlin, and I it was mostly women in the room. And I realized I just want to focus on women. So then the following season was on interviewing um, women investors, women founders who'd raised Series A and beyond, mm-hmm. and then um, anyone supporting the ecosystem, so that we could get. So the, the, the women founders who'd raised series A and beyond could be examples that they could share their stories. And then the earlier stage founders could learn from them. Women investors, I wanted for those who didn't understand about angel investing and venture investing and 
how this all worked. I wanted women to talk about their stories to see that there was so that other women could see what was possible and there was no single path into it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, plant the seeds of this is possible. And I don't necessarily, you know, for those of us who don't look like the white bros, mm-hmm. that it's still possible and hear all the different paths and the way you can operate. Yeah. And then those in the ecosystem so I could get some more money into it. Last year, I had a number of people say, we, you know, we love these interviews. We love what you're having to say about this, but we want more of you. And so I thought I, I didn't have anything after December. I was kind of out of ideas for the next season. And I thought, well, what if I try YouTube? And what, what if I just do like a, just me talking about things, you know, twice a week for 10 or 15 minutes talk about my investing, talk about my consulting, talk about being a working mom, talk about being in Silicon Valley, talk about, you know, you know, whatever, whatever it was that was, you know, um, current events, Mm -hmm. you know, what I was seeing in the world. And I thought this would be really fun. My 15 year old agreed to produce it. So (laughs) they're so good. (laughs) I'm paying Ray 50 bucks a week in order to produce episodes and uh it's been super fun I've gotten used to seeing myself on camera which is I think a really good thing for us women to do yes Uh, yes a lot of a lot of time I got used to my voice with my podcast and now I'm used to you know so I'm able to show up no make I mean literally no makeup I you don't want (laughs) to smell me right now for my hike Although I do smell like sun bottle sun sunscreen do men Uh, are men okay with their like seeing themselves or listening to themselves I don't care. So the beginning of the beginning of this podcast, it's uh, my friend Helena's voice saying, welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast. She has the perfect voice for it. She mm-hmm. will not listen to it. She has to skip forward to listen to my interview. And I can sympathize because I, you know, when I had my startup and I had to like um, do like Facebook live and I could see myself, my eyes were so fidgety. I like could not look at the screen. I looked like all around the screen because I just like couldn't do it. And, um, I didn't really consider that maybe that's like a woman, you know, more so disproportionately. Well, I'm kind of hoping that with all the zoom and video conferencing that we're doing that we get used to the way that we look so we can kind of disassociate, eventually disassociate our value from our appearance and expect as much energy on that and be able (laughs) to show up we are yeah but um my friend monique woodard i think shared something about there are now all these apps to kind of improve your appearance beyond the improve appearance on zoom no "No." it's like snapchat for zoom exactly and i was like no this is going in the wrong direction so this doesn't help me i mean it's cool but this does not help us separate our appearance from our value yes world that really only looks as looks at women as objects Mm -hmm. I was kind of late to the snapchat game and when I downloaded it I took a selfie and I flipped on a filter and I can remember the first thing I said was well this is why women hate themselves because I looked stunning with that filter on you know and I had this thought that was like I'll never take a picture without it you know but yeah, no, it's, it, there's, yeah. there's so much wrong with that and, uh, social media. So, so the video, I'm kind of getting used to it. Um, it's my target audience is really women 35 to 55 or 60. Uh-huh. I, I do have people outside of that. That's my target audience and they're not all on, on YouTube yet. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to drag people onto a platform that they're not 
usually on. I mean, the Gen Xers, most, most Gen Xers aren't on, on YouTube. So that, but what that allows me to do is it allows me to practice and get better so that when, when I've got them over there, then, um, hopefully I've got the, got it really nailed. Um, but you know, you mentioned my book, um, do you have a specific question or you just want me to talk about it? Well, uh, let's talk about it. And specifically, I know you just said like your target audience is kind of that midlife range. So does your book target that audience as well? And why? Well, thank you for that softball. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So yes, I, as, as an investor, when I was walking into rooms, you know, cause I'm now, I just turned 50. So I was 45 when I started investing and I was practically invisible. I got mm. overlooked. I got dismissed. And the only thing that really got people to pay attention to me was that I'm a commercially rated helicopter pilot. So I fly helicopters for fun. And I thought this is ridiculous that my table stakes are, you know, it's being a helicopter pilot wow. and other guys could walk in and without half the experience, without mm-hmm. half the knowledge, blah, 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 and would automatically be respected. And so I started paying more and more attention to this and was like, is it, is it just sexism and misogyny or is there also an ageism factor? Mm. And I realized that women over the age of 40 are often dismissed. Mm. So I thought, you know, as I was exploring, you know, writing a book I thought, well, let me focus on this demographic. And what if I interview a whole bunch of women from around the world, diverse women, and get their stories of how they've moved through this really transitional period of midlife. So midlife is considered between 40 and 65. And so I thought, well, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, which is right now somewhere between 38 and 39 and 53, 54 what if I focused on this particular overlooked population? Because I went too wide with my podcast the first year. I thought, let me go narrower Mm -hmm. because I learned learned a lesson there. (laughs) Let me go after this and then talk to a whole bunch of different women about their stories, everything from health and adventure and letting go of things that no longer served them, sex, parenting, relationships, money, um, everything but grief and dying, which I accidentally left out of the book, but I ended up covering in my podcast. (laughs) But I thought, what if, what if we threw out the rules and said, it's our time to design and live a life of our own creation. And so I, I wrote piloting your life and it has some of my stories and stories of 30 diverse women from around the world. And then, uh, I also read a ton of books and articles so that it's been called a well-researched, inspiring beach read um, that has universal messaging beyond midlife. Mm. Um, and the other thing that's interesting that I learned is that um, midlife, perimenopause—you know, moving into moving into menopause—you know, postmenopause or hitting the menopause point—is um, midlife uh, puberty in essence, because mm-hmm. your hormones are kind of going wacky. Mm-hmm. And so it's also a time that you most likely have teenagers. So you have kids going through actual oh puberty. My gosh. And then you have women who are who are going through uh, midlife puberty and asking all sorts yeah. of questions, saying, is this all there is? And why am I not happy? Mm. And, you know, uh, there's some sort of a trigger around whether it's the career related kid, you know, kids going off to college or Mm. not needing them as much aging parents, dying parents, 
um, you know, there's some sort of, or health scare, some sort of a trigger that has women going, is this all there is? And so um, I explore all of that in the book and offer up a bunch of stories because I hate being told what to do. So I figured if there's, there's stories, there's some information, there's some thoughtful, thought-provoking questions at the end, but women get to pick and choose and be inspired and go, I'm not alone in what it is that I'm doing. And here are some ideas of what I could be doing so that I can be happier, more fulfilled and reject societal expectations, reject societal rules and create something really is um, really serving me. Well, that reminds me of one of the quotes that I saw that I really loved, which was midlife is an opportunity and not a crisis. Is that, you know, what you're describing right now? Absolutely. So, so midlife crisis really did not apply to women when, um, the guy, um, the guy who came up with it, like in the sixties, he was really focusing on men. He wasn't focusing on women. So it really didn't, he, there were no women in the research. And then later on that was rejected anyway. And only 10% of men actually <laughs> have midlife crisis, oh my God. but it, but it, but it was catchy. And so yeah. it, it kind of held on. So women, and the reason why we were left out is because of menopause and kids, pregnancy and all of that. So we were intentionally left out of that, those studies. So, but we look at midlife as, you know, for guys, it's the, the red sports cards, the young, I mean, the, the 80s stereotypes and tropes around that. But for women, you know, we're just expected to slide into old hag. Mm. And I, I reject that. And I say that instead of midlife being a crisis, midlife, midlife is an opportunity. If we're, our hormones are going wacky, if we're completely off balance, if we're questioning everything, why don't we take a look at that and, and then use that as an opportunity to create what we want in our life? It's a perfect opportunity when you're completely off balance to go, okay, let's just, just explore this. And that's why I think it's an opportunity and not, um, and not a crisis. I love it. Yeah. We've had some other people on here, you know, uh, Genev and Lisa health talking about, you know, digital health and products and community for women experiencing going through menopause. Um, but this sounds more like how can we modify your mindset around it, around the experience, you know? Well, there's a little bit. So I have stories of Anne from Lisa Health and Jill from Genev. They both, I interviewed both of them. Oh, for the book. cool. And, uh, yeah, because I, I think they're both absolutely yeah. amazing. And um, yes, it's about mindset. It's, I have one chapter on health and that was it because there are some other really great books around health cause what I want to do umbrella book, because there's really no umbrella book that covers, you know, you are where you are, this, you know, the happiness curve, um, the menopause, the, the parenting, the sex, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. you know, there are a whole bunch of books covering all of these individual areas, but nothing that really brings it together. Mm -hmm. And so this is really an umbrella book that then points to other resources. And I mentioned Genev in there and I mentioned Lisa nice. health in there. Um, I mentioned, uh, mighty menopause, which is, a another, um, another menopause resource in there. So it points to other resources, but a lot of times we, because we don't, we haven't up until more recently talked about perimenopause, talked about menopause, talked about aging, talked about what happens kind of when you turn 40, we haven't really talked about these things. And so the book is really to 
to let you know, to let women know they're not alone in what they're experiencing. They're not crazy that other women are experiencing similar things, have experienced it, and that, that there is, um, there's opportunity for, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel mm. in terms of moving through everything and, and not having to resist it because you're like, I'm not normal because I can't jump on the trampoline anymore without peeing or, <laughs> you know, jumping jacks yeah. or, or out or women later in life who are suffering from vaginal dryness. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that that's not, there's nothing wrong with them. Their body is shifting and adjusting with hormones and there are some solutions out there that can be helpful so that you don't have to give up on certain activities that you really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, Terry, you are very dynamic. We could continue <laughs> to chat about all these different areas, investing, current events, your book, your podcast, but let's wrap up our interview with um, two last questions. The first one is, um, we have a lot of aspiring founders listening to our show, and they may be wondering what still needs innovating in femtech. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? So I think, you know, it was interesting. I think Foz brought up endometriosis, and my 15-year-old has PCOS, mm. and so polycystic ovarian syndrome. I would like to see more innovation and research, research into PCOS. It affects a large number of women in, in our society and there's very little known and the it's, it is, it creates all sorts of, uh, metabolic, um, there are all sorts of, it could create cardiac issues. It create, there are a lot of long-term health side effects if not effectively treated. So I'm just going to say because of my 15 year old, I'm going to say, I want to see more research into PCOS. Perfect. And what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now to be successful? God, the list is like so long. Um, <laughs> what we really need is the investors who control capital and make the decisions on what gets funded. We really need them to suddenly get a massive amount of radical empathy to understand that there are needs um, market demands out there for products and services that they, they wouldn't use. And I use the term, you know, man and woman now is, is actually kind of, kind of a tough thing. Um, you know, right now as, as we're shifting mm -hmm. into under separating, you know, gender, gender expression, yeah. your body parts and, and everything else. But I'm just going to say the 92% men with a venture capitalist that own so much of the money. If I'm just gonna say, if I could wave a magical wand, magic wand and get them to suddenly discover radical empathy, that would be incredibly helpful because then the dollars could start flowing. Then the expectations could be more consistent without it being this women are a niche market. Um, when really women are just, uh, uh, not well understood by those people who control the, the money That's right. problem. I love it. And I hope that we could find that wand together. Really? <laughs> Let's find the wand. <laughs> Until then, we're just going to work really. I'm just going to continue to yell and scream from every mountaintop yes. um, and every investor, male men, man investor that I bump into that the importance of, uh, investing in women's health and femtech. Like three years ago, I went to, uh, Jason Calacanis's angel summit and mentioned femtech and none of the men investors there had ever heard femtech. And then the following year 
I went and they're like, oh, I'm starting to hear a little bit more about Femtech. Can you tell me more mm-hmm. about it? And so I think the more we talk about it and the more we put it in front of them, the more we dazzle them with the dollar opportunity and dazzle yes. them with the statistics the in terms of market sizes and the problems and everything else, eventually it'll get through their thick skulls that there really is true opportunity here. Yep. I, you literally took the words out of my mouth. I, you, perfect. Right there. Perfect. Roll credits. <laughs> uh, Terry, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for showing up authentic and casual with me and, ch- and chatting about women's health and wellness. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and raising awareness and uh, bringing all these voices out into the world. I think it's fabulous. So thank you for what you're doing. It is my pleasure. See you later. Thank you for listening to my interview with Terry Hansen Mead. I had such an awesome time discussing angel investing, diversity in investors, and how COVID-19 is affecting women. If you're a researcher studying how COVID-19 is changing how women live and work, we would really love to hear from you. We want to get that story out. We want to know what the data is and you know what people are finding. So be sure to reach out to us on social at Femtech Focus. Also, be sure to get Terry's book. Uh, you can go to terrymeadhanson.com, look at her book, listen to her podcast uh, titled piloting your life. I've listened to a few episodes and it is awesome. Terry is is really, really um, informative and incredibly smart. And I feel like she knows everybody. So really great show. Now remember everybody, the Guild Academy Femtech Edition applications for this accelerator close on Friday. You got two more days. So don't wait. Apply now. And there's two other really cool events coming up I want to tell you about. The first one is by Women of Wearables. They are having a webinar called The Rise of CBD in Healthcare and Wellbeing. And this webinar is featuring our previous guest, uh, Colleen fisher Tolley from the Women in Weed episode a few weeks ago. The panel is happening on September 23rd. You can register for it through the Women of Wearables website. The other interesting event coming up is actually the next day, September 24th, entitled Around the World in Women's Health with Future of Femtech. This is a panel talking about women's health literally in like every continent in the world. Panelists include Amina from Fermata, which is Japan, Milena from Menstrual Health Hub, uh, I think she's in, in the UK, Uh, And then Pear from Keg, which is the United States, all of whom have been featured on our show. We love these ladies. They are super informed. So that's going to be an awesome panel. Register for the event at Future of Femtech's website. All righty, y'all. Thank you for being avid listeners to the Femtech Focus podcast. Show us some love. Follow us on social at Femtech Focus. Subscribe to our badass newsletter. You can do that through our website, femtechfocus.org. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, share with a friend, leave a comment, leave a review, like us, subscribe. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.